This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is August 10th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. I'm Dawn Dressler McCarthy, and I was at Hofstra Radio from, let's see, the fall of 1992 until May of 1996. Every day. (laughs) Every day. Well, welcome back. Thank you so much for doing this. It's great to talk to you. You too, Brian. Um, Just as a reminder from our previous conversation, what were the jobs that you had at Hofstra Radio? Uh, I walked in the door like just unexpectedly, probably a week before the semester started. So maybe the middle of August, probably this time back in 1992 and bumped into Christy Jasper and she made me traffic director on the spot. (laughs) Um, So that was the first one. So then my sophomore year, I was the program operations director. And then junior year, I was station manager. And then senior year, I co-hosted the morning wake up call with hotshot Brian Scott. Okay, so let's go back to that 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 first conversation, and and I have I have a pretty good recollection of you walking into the basement office and seeing Christy, and the two of you were so excited to see each other, and somehow within about five minutes, she had convinced you to not only join the radio station, but to take this job as traffic director. Does that sound right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I listened to my last interview that we had done in volume one, just to make sure that I didn't repeat the story. But I just remember that I was so nervous. And then (laughs) just the fact that it was a familiar person that was there was just like, oh, my God, this is just so great. Um, So yeah, and I didn't even know what I was signing up for, because I didn't know what traffic meant um, in relation to WRHU and non-commercial radio. So I learned that really quickly. And uh, yeah, that was fun. So that led you to apply for your sophomore year for program operations director. What do you remember yes. about applying for that? Uh, how, did, how did Christy talk you into doing that? Or what, what, was, what was your motivation for applying for that job? Okay, that motivation was completely selfish and I and egotistical on my part because I think that there was another person that was going to apply for it and then my competitive edge got to me and I was oh. like, oh, I could totally do this job better than them. And <laughs> so that's where I applied. I don't remember who that would have been. You have to tell me afterwards. I will tell you when we're off the air, but I don't feel comfortable saying it on air because, (laughs) or you can edit it out. (laughs) Um, Let's, let's, let's be careful just in case I miss an edit. Tell me later. I will tell you later. Okay. But that was why I went for the pod. And, uh, and it was funny because, you know, I could be answering two questions here for you uh, at Mm -hmm. one point because you know, further down, since you gave me the questions, um, I was like, oh, this ties into that question. I don't know if that helps you or should I wait for you to ask it? No, go ahead. Tell the story. The story is, you know, there's a question that you asked of, was there, was there a moment that you thought about leaving or quitting or stepping back? Mm. And because my mother worked for Hofstra for 30 years and I grew up a block away, Um, from Hofstra University and literally my house was closer than my dorm room to the station. 
I had this, I, I wanted to transfer after fr middle of freshman year. Um, probably, I would say, eight weeks into freshman year because I was struggling academically. Um, and I was like, I don't know if I really want to stay here. But because I had traffic director and I started at RHU, I was like, oh, but it would really be good to like go for four years and have this resume of how I grew at the station. And so one of the reasons that I stayed at Hofstra was twofold. Um, it was because I became um, program operations director and I had my eye on becoming a station manager. And I knew that if I transferred and went to um, Emerson in Massachusetts, that I would have to start over again. And I might not get that opportunity to be a station manager. Um, so that's why I stayed at Hofstra. It was twofold because of program operations director and because I met some guy in Bogarts that I ended up marrying. Mm. <laughs> and, um, and so that's why I kind of stayed. And my sister was, had had a baby and I wanted to be close, um, to her. So there was, there was a lot of reasons why I wasn't going to, why I wasn't going to leave, but there was a, a point where I was like, ah, oh, forget Hofstra. I'm, I'm going away. And I did the whole college application process over again, looking at Syracuse and American University and Emerson. And I got into all of them. And then I was like, eh, nah, I'm going to stick with WRHU. So I stayed. Wow. Wow. Now, I mean, it's, it's not many people that have a, a title or a position at the station as a, as a freshman. So you're doing that and you've got your classes and you've got this new guy you're dating and all these things are going on all at one time. I guess it was, uh, uh, just, is it fair to say there was a lot of pressure on you that first year? Pressure and the, and it was the, the dream of like, why am I here? You know, when I reflect on that question that you asked in volume one of what did you see for yourself when you were 18 walking in? And now as I've had a lot of time to reflect and listen to that interview and see, did I answer that question? I have a better answer is that I saw myself as the next Katie Couric. Mm. And so I was like, I'm coming here because this is the place that's going to prepare me for that. Not that it didn't. It's just that that wasn't going to be my destiny. Um, but when I was 18 and you're naive and you don't know what the real world is like, you think, oh, I love Katie Kirk and I love the Today Show and I'd like to be on that. And she started a radio in radio. And so I'm going to do that, too. And so that was my mindset. Wow. At 18. Wow. So, so, but, but, and, and this, this sounds kind of funny because a lot of people have downplayed the position of program operations director. That's not very glamorous, that it's just, you know, sort of clerical, but that's one of the reasons that you stayed at Hofstra because you got this gig. And then again, as a sophomore being uh, kind of precocious on the, on the management timeline there. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I, I bet people would be like, why would you do that? <laughs> There's an extra special uh, level of dedication to Hofstra Radio to to be excited and about being the pod. I guess I guess because Christy was the pod before me and right. Todd Packer was the pod after me. I guess you know it was just like a natural progression that Christy made it look appealing, and I wanted to be part of the executive board. And as a sophomore, to be part of the executive board, I thought was uh, pretty cool. So I was a little high on myself. 
Well, uh, deservedly so. And and so so that's the academic year 93 to 94, I think, right? Yes. So yes. Bruce so- Avery comes in in January of 1994. Yeah. And you're the program operations director. And then for your junior year, you apply to be station manager. I applied to be station manager. Because yeah. I knew that I didn't have... For some reason, being program director scared the crap out of me. And I knew that Jen Murphy was going to be a fantastic program director. And so I was like, you know what? I want to work with her. Um, But I envision myself more as a station manager and her as the program director. Um, And and that's the way that it it worked out. Um, Not that I had any control of it, but I I applied. And I thought that we had a a lot of fun that year. Uh, It was my junior year and her senior year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so you're working with Jen, and you said Todd was the program operations director. By the time we, either that or he was becoming music director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I was wondering who else you were working with that year that you were station manager, because part of the question goes back to working with Bruce Avery as the new general manager and getting used to his new style of management. Because for your first two years, we were kind of pirate radio. We were kind of, you know, the inmates running the asylum. And then here comes Bruce with his thing. So my question is just sort of generally about who were you working with? And then how are you guys getting used to working with Bruce? It was me and Jen, and I think Todd was there, Dan, uh, Dana Bovey mm-hmm. was, um, I don't think that she was on the board though, but she was still was like actively involved. Do mm-hmm. you remember what she was doing? No, she, she might have been, graduated by then. She might have been music director <laughs> by then. I'm not sure. But Paul, Paul Cardella was running the news. Um, we had Joe Ramore, Will was Spirit of the Lake. Mm-hmm. because he had one semester left. Um, Pete and Eric yep. were there, and Eric was moving up, doing stuff. Um, Debbie Lom, mm-hmm. like those are, and Butch. No, he graduated the year before. I think he was still around. Was He, he might have been. Maybe. But it was interesting that that, tri- that transfer that change when Bruce came along was very different just because um, <laughs> Jen and I would sit at meetings and while we loved Bruce's explanations, we would kind of sit there and look at our watches and kind of roll our eyes at each other <laughs> yeah. and uh, wait till we can get out of there. We've really got to go to the bathroom because <laughs> well, now that we're in the new building, we weren't in the new building yet. No, we were still in the, in Memorial hall and the bathroom was really far away. We had to walk down a couple of long hallways to get there. Um, this, this is a complete tangent, but I was having a conversation with someone a while back. Where was the ladies' room in Memorial Hall? I, I have no recollection. Okay. So if you came out of the offices mm-hmm. and you went down the hallway past the music office and the crypt, because mm-hmm. you would make a left. Right. And at the end of that hallway was the ladies' room and the stairs to go up to Bits and Bites, because that's where we would go up to eat. If you made a right at the hallway, you'd be heading down towards Master Control. Correct. And two-track and multi-track. Okay. So so the rest so that's of why were we either end of the room. Yeah. So we would always have to put on a really, really long song <laughs> if we needed to take a pee break while we were running the board, because right. we wouldn't 
you know, probably give yourself at least, you know, four and a half minutes or more. Seven is ideal. Yeah. Yeah. So well, the jazz the, cafe the, was the easiest to take bathroom breaks <laughs> in. The, 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 uh, the, the peril of the, the, I mean, it was nice to have the men's room closer to, uh, the on-air studio, but there was also the constant danger of flooding and overflow. So, uh, I don't, I don't want to go too much into, into the weeds about the bathroom situation, but, uh, since it came up, um, so, so you're, yeah. So you're station manager and, you know, again, the years that their first couple of years at, at the station, we're having a lot of informal meetings and, you know, a group of us would get together and say, well, what are we going to do about this? And we'd have a conversation and then either do it or get it done, whatever, whatever it was. And then Bruce came in and he's got a style of management where there are more formal meetings and there's records being kept. And I just remember some of us kind of chafing at that, like, well, okay, fine. You're the general manager, but now you're changing the whole culture of the station. And I'm just curious what you remember about being, you know, the, the station leader uh, in that new situation. Well, I, I, it was the first time I ever heard the term creating an environment of mutual respect. <laughs> and are, I was like, <laughs> are you suggesting there wasn't such an environment? I'm just suggesting like, I didn't know what that looked like, but we're going to figure it out. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then him wanting to have his closed door chit chats with everybody as far as what our vision of the station is for the future. Again, like he comes in with all these ideas of where we could be getting a new building. And we're like, what? And I think that it was in the works, you know, that Sue put in a lot of Susan's have put in a lot of time and energy and in getting us a new building. Mm. Um, and so, you know, Bruce comes in and here's, here's, here's a new building. Um, <laughs> that's great. But um, there was so much more that happened before he stepped in. And I think that he was, he was, introducing a lot of concepts i think that yeah we're fairly new for all of us rugrats that were down there mm-hmm. just kind of um you know keeping us on the air and having a great time while doing it um but the, the environment of a mutual of mutual respect was the was the, the biggest thing that i just remember him hearing and then the word ballistic was a new one he would always talk about stories when someone would go ballistic and i would have to kind of look the first time he said that i didn't know what it meant so i went to the dictionary and i'm like okay i understood what that meant but those were some of the words that i picked up from, from bruce um in those early early months of getting to know him um uh, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline of when the station fully moved over from Memorial Hall over to uh, what was, I think at the time, called the Dempster Annex, and now it's the Herbert School of Communications. But I think that would have been fall of 94. Yeah. And, and remember, it used to be the pit where we used to park our cars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When they, they, cleared, um, they cleared all those trees and we would park there because there yeah. were no rules and we got away with it. We're like, where's your car? It's in the pit. 
and it was oh over God. there. And that was two blocks away from my house, but I would still have my car there because I was going to drive to my dorm. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. I forgot all about that. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, so what was the question of when, when did we move in? We moved in when I was station manager. So I was a junior. Right. So, um, so you had just graduated. Yeah. So it would have been, it was full in 94. Yeah. I think Dave Koenig, his, he had a recording from that morning. I think it was October of 94. So then you've got a Mm -hmm. whole physical move movement of equipment and records and CDs and desks and all that kind of stuff. What do you remember from that transition time? Oh, I remember just having like the, I think we borrowed some dollies, like Mm a couple of from like bits and bites or something. So we could like stack the records on them and then wheel them from Memorial Hall across campus. Mm -hmm. And like we're hitting the, the sidewalks and everything's like, like, like vibrating <laughs> we've but just boxes and boxes of, of LPs just going over to the new building and then deciding like where they were going to go. Like we, we were making those decisions of like the music office and these other um, studios and stuff. And I just remember saying, I'm not cleaning out the crypt because that place scared me. I mm-hmm. didn't know what kind of bugs or spiders I was going to find, but it was called the crypt for a reason. And it smelled like funky. And I just, I just remember saying, I'm not doing the crypt. I won't do anything. <laughs> um, and, and speaking to some of the people who were at the station in the uh, 1960s and 1970s, I think that actual crypt, I think that that closet was the same one going all the way back. Uh, I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure it, it, predates even the radio station office moving to the basement. I'm pretty sure it was there long before yeah. you and I were even existing. I think that's where the crypt was. So so you're you're well deserved in saying I'm not doing that because that was that was a bit intimidating and scary. Well I remember like one of my first weeks down there and I was like, what's this room? And it was Scott and Bill and they were Scott uh-huh. Smolov and Bill Kaplan. They're like, that's the crypt. Don't go in there. And that was all that they needed to say. <laughs> well, two, coming from those two. You really don't want to get involved in no. any of their No, I listened nonsense. to them. And but it was probably the uh, that was a kernel of truth there. So okay. I listened. Okay, so you're station manager for a year, and then you've got your senior year, and you decide to go for the morning show. Let's talk about that a little bit. Because Bruce was Bruce envisioned the morning show to be kind of like the pinnacle of your radio career, that if you're a radio person, what do you want to do? Morning drive. So um, he had said to me that, um, you know, would you consider doing the morning show? Because I had plans to be interning in Manhattan um, for my senior year, both semesters. And I felt that I wouldn't be able to give the time as station manager that it deserved mm-hmm. by doing my internships and also trying to run the station. So um, I decided to step back from station manager um, for my senior year. Um, pass the baton to Paul and, um, and do the morning wake up call. And which was great because I could do the morning show and then 
you know, the couple of days a week that I had to go into the city for my internship, I could do that. But I was able to manage that kind of commute and be on the morning show, you know, five days a week. And then that taught me a lot because even though we got on the air at 7 a.m., in reality, if I was doing that, you know, for Z100, I would be on the air, I think, at like five. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I was like, I don't know if I really want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) How would that? And and my thought about that was also, you know, as a young woman, not only thinking about my career, but what is my life going to look like if that's the route that I take and how am I going to fit juggling a family with that kind of a lifestyle. So there were a lot of thoughts going in my head as far as like planning for the rest of my life when it came to my career in radio. Hmm. Um, So this is going through your mind as you're in your senior year and co-hosting uh, the morning show as, as you're having fun and enjoying that time where you starting to think, yeah, this isn't going to work with, the lifestyle that I want, or was it, was there a a light bulb moment or was it just a gradual realization? It was a gradual realization. I mean, I had confidence in myself. Um, but the thing is, is that this RHU was just such a fun place. Mm -hmm. Um, I laughed every day and I was just so, uh, you know, the stories that I was listening to of the other interviews that you did sparked so many memories of the things that would happen. And many of it was in Memorial Hall. Yeah. But just how much, how much I laughed. It was really, you know, you you guys were funny guys, you know, and here we are like, you know, there's, there's, what is it? Maybe three guys to every woman, you know, that was down there. So it was just very interesting to just kind of hear the chatter and and hear the jokes that happen um and and so yeah it was it you do a lot of planning when you're in college because it's you're thinking like okay well is this is this gonna pay off for me in the long run um i didn't have student loans because my mother got free tuition for me um as an employee but you certainly do put into perspective what's the rest of my What's the rest of my life going to look like if I do this? Um, and it wasn't, the, the turnoff came, I think, when I went into the real world and it was like, wow, this is nothing like RHU. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no place like WRHU. So the real world was a lot crueler and harsher and meaner and I didn't like it. <laughs> so I was like, oh boy, if I could, if I could go back to RHU and just do that here forever, that would be really comforting. But um, everybody's got to have a turn. So obviously after my four years, it was time to move on and let other people have a chance, but I probably would have wanted to stay there longer if I, if I could. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I probably could, but I made other decisions is a very mature way of thinking about it. Most of us are just sort of rolling through our, our senior year and just saying, well, I'm having fun. And you're thinking about the next steps and where you want to be. So uh, I guess it was a combination of having those management management roles and an idea of what you wanted to do. And then those internships, I guess all that kind of came together to, to guide your thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Um, tell me a little bit more about doing the morning show. Who were you working with and, and what were you doing on the morning show? 
Well, Dave Koenig had graduated, so he um, he left some big shoes to fill, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he had a really fun show to listen to. Um, but Brian Scott and I were um, were assigned with doing the morning show, and he was pretty much, you know, I had Brian. Uh, he, he did the board and he engineered and announced and I did the news and announced and we would have our talk and our banter. And it's funny because I, I wish that I remembered more of that time, but I'm noticing that a lot of people are in the same boat that they don't mm-hmm. remember either. And I guess that's what happens when you approach 50, that you forget um, some of those stories. I mean, I remember going in every day and I remember, um, I don't remember who else was there, which is odd. I wish I did, hmm. but like people would, people would pop in and, and like, I was listening to Heather Cohen and she had said she had done it. And I'm like, yeah, she might've been there. And, and Paul might've been there. Um, but I remember in the new building, there was enough space for both me and hotshot Brian Scott to be in the same area. Right. You know, that I, I was on the other side of the table instead of on the other side of the glass, as it would have been if we were in the old master control. Mm. And in the new master control, I sort of remember it was a little bit easier for people to kind of come and go and sort of jump in and maybe do a report or or jump on the mic for a few minutes and then disappear. Whereas in uh, Memorial Hall, it was a little it, it wasn't impossible, but it was it was a little more disruptive for people to come and go. So that might be why. Uh, it's a little harder to remember when you're doing the morning show because it's just a constant flow of people and activity. Yeah. And, it, you know, there was space for four of us, mm-hmm. you know, hotshot Brian Scott at the board and then three people around the table, all with microphones. So, yeah, it was, and it was, yeah, you come in, you did your segment, you got up, you left. Um, and that was it. But it was fun. Mm hmm. It was, it was a lot of fun. So I took myself too seriously then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, well let, let, let's get into some more questions later on, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm sure. But um, you know, some details sort of fade away as, as you mentioned a minute ago, but there are some stories that stick with you. Is there a story that you always tell about working at Hofstra radio? Yes. Um, it, again, it was my freshman year and oh, a couple people said, wouldn't it be fun to do a remote live broadcast from my dorm room? And silly, naive me is like, we can do that. <laughs> and Bill Kaplan and Scott uh-huh. Smuller were like, sure, we can do that. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. And so there was a party in Nassau, Suffolk that night. <laughs> In my dorm room, and they got the equipment, and we did a live remote broadcast from my dorm room. And and I think Keith Hannon was there because he bought tacos from Taco Bell. Um, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think Keith was there. And it was Bill, and it was Scott, and I don't remember anybody else that was there. But there were a lot of people that were like coming in and out. But yes, we were we were coming live from my dorm room, so that's and, a story I always tell. And I'm sure all FCC and Hofstra rules were followed to a T, correct? Well, I was relying on our chief engineer at the time, which I think was Bill Kaplan, mm. um, for that. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let's just assume everybody followed all the rules and no one did anything yeah. they weren't supposed to. That's what I'm hoping. Okay. We got, a, we got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> we did get away with that. Sue was pissed, but we, but we got away with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a story that you rarely tell or had kind of forgotten about or just came back recently? You said you were listening to some other interviews. Is there a story that you, you uh, rarely bring up? Uh, I think we were in, we were in the office. It was you, Brian, and it was Al Montag. Mm. And I'm sitting at the, you're obviously at the program director's desk and Kathy was in class. So Al was sitting at the station manager desk and I'm sitting in the middle of the room in, you know, doing my traffic stuff and everybody's got a phone and Al starts to start ate me at the phone, but I don't know where it's coming from. And like, I pick up the phone and you guys, the straight faces that you guys had, because you must've had me going for like at least two minutes. And that's a long time to prank someone to not know, but he kept picking up the star eight and coming to my, you know, I, I didn't notice that he was doing it from the station manager desk right there in front of me. <laughs> and so, so that was a funny one. And I just remembered, I, I didn't remember until Mark Giordano mentioned about the quotes on the wall. Mm-hmm. And, um, do you still have those like hidden away somewhere? In I I, th- I think I have some of them. I don't. I <laughs> I, I was going through my old uh, station memos. I I think I have some of them. And yours, one of yours, is is my favorite of all time, and I still quote it. It's "Don't kick a gift horse in the teeth." <laughs> That's and so funny because I, I always get that stuff wrong. It's been it's been thirty years, Don. And I still have to concentrate as I say it because I just want to burst out laughing. It's that funny to me <laughs> to this day. It's still that funny. But I want to I want to make sure that we include a technical detail here because there was this thing with the Hofstra phones back then. There was there was the the idea that you could pick a call from another one. So let's say you're in the main office. And the music office phone is ringing that you could pick it and then answer it at your phone at your desk. Right. You remember that? Yeah. And then yep. the star eight thing. What do you remember star eight being? That turns your phone into an intercom. <laughs> so without it ringing, you just hear a boop and then you hear a voice. And so you were able to, and this is before I knew what it was. Yeah. So, and again, this must've been like what? a month into the semester, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my first semester freshman year. So I'm a very, very easy target <laughs> before I really get to know you people. And so you guys were having a lot of fun with me. And I, I did find this, the humor in it, but then it bled over to like the middle of the night where I'm in my dorm room and people are star eating me in my dorm room. And I hear, Dawn, wake <laughs> up. And like, at like, you know, two o'clock in the morning when they're signing off from Airwave, they're, they're start eating me before they leave. And again, I don't know who it was, but they, they had a lot of fun with that. I knew it wasn't Al because he would be getting up the next morning for, for the morning show. But don't be so sure. 
Yeah, and right. That's yeah. There were there were some <laughs> things that we probably shouldn't have been doing. No, but, quite a lot. But we we laughed a lot, and so that's the next question: Is there a funniest story or something that makes you laugh to this day? Um, when we went to Rhode Island for the for the NACB, the National Association of College Broadcasters, with the Hofstra Radio Theater Players. And this was something that Sue um, sponsored every every year. And I think I did that for two years, mm-hmm. um, my junior and senior year. But we had to, I don't know why we hadn't needed to drive around Providence, but we were in the Hofstra SGA van, the Student Government Association van. And Steve Spencer was driving the van and i'm guessing he's a a city folk which makes it easy for him to drive around providence but i can't curse i don't think on this go right ahead go right ahead but we were getting lost in these roundabouts and could not get ourselves back to the hotel and he just puts his hands on the wheel and shakes his head and he's like this town is fucked and we all just like there must have been four or five of us in the in the van. I don't remember who was in there, but it was wet my pants funny, and I just can't. I we never heard Steve speak that way, but mm-hmm. he was getting so frustrated that you know an errand that should have taken us like fifteen minutes took us like an hour and fifteen minutes because we get getting lost in the roundabouts. Mm-hmm. I've heard that story so many times. I wasn't there. I wasn't there, but I've heard it so many times. I can picture it. I can hear it. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. And and Steve yeah. was Steve was so generous and so patient with us and coming in when he did when when Jeff Krause took ill and and he he was so giving and so and so patient with us. But I can just imagine being in that van and with the knuckleheads that were in that van with you and just getting frustrated uh-huh. and the poor man just losing it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. And the memory blurs because I have photos, you know, and it's like, Oh, was this, you know, was this in Providence or was this in Jekyll Island? So mm. I like, like look at the pictures and remember like, okay, no, this one was Providence, but I don't remember. I think like Bill and Scott were there. I, I don't and know Butch, if they were in yeah. that van. And Butch was there. It might have been was Jim Mundy. Vanessa? Um, there was Possibly. A, yeah, there were a lot of people that were doing radio theater at the time, which which yeah. brings up another thing. So so you've already mentioned that you were traffic director and pod and station manager and co-host of the morning show, and you're doing radio theater. You did so many things at Hofstra Radio. So my question here is... Was there something that you weren't able to achieve or weren't able to do uh, to your level of satisfaction? Was there something you were disappointed about? No, I think that I really maximized my potential there. Um, and and by the time I was a senior, I'm like, okay, yeah, it's my time to go. I've you know I'm given four years to make the best four years that I could possibly make with this place. And, um, and I really do think that I squeezed as much out of it as I possibly could. So I had, I had no regrets. 
other than that I took myself too seriously. Right, right. <laughs> um, is there a song or an event or a story that in your mind defines your time at the station? Yeah, a couple of them. One is listening to Two Princes by the Spin Doctors. Christy Red and Christy, Christy and Christy were doing their show. Right. And this was before I think that they were going on the air because we also, before their show started, you know, when you, um, what's it called? When you pre-listen to, when you brought the pot all the way down to kind to of screen it. Yes, to put in cue. So they were just playing that song just for the hell of it because they liked that song. And I really liked that song too, but I didn't know who was who the artist was. Um, and so they were like, oh, this is the Spin Doctors and it's Two Princes. And they were singing it. And I was like, oh, I love this song. Um, there, there was that. And was there another one, another song? That another, I think that was it. Another Spin Doctor song or just another? No, I remember... Like reading the CDs that Will Shelley would write little notes mm-hmm. about certain songs on. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was, might have been a Lenny Kravitz album or something, but there was some organ on there and just the way he described different tracks um, on those little white labels that he'd mm-hmm. stick on top of the CD. And so, um, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember what song it was, but then when I listened to it, I'm like, Ooh, there's the, the organ that Will was talking about. Mm. <laughs> and it mm-hmm. might've been, it might've been on the 10 Summoners Tale album of Sting. Um, I think, I don't remember. And him writing about, um, this of oh, that it's that album 10 summoners tale just like mm. brings me back to college all mm. the time that sting album yeah we yeah. certainly got an education from the record albums and the reviews and things like that we we were definitely into it and we definitely put a lot of effort into communicating as much as we could on those little white labels yep mm. yeah um there's so many amazing things that you did during your time at Hofstra Radio. Um, is there something that stands out as your biggest biggest accomplishment or proudest moment? Um, I think it was my senior year when I got my plaque for broadcaster of the year. Like that was a really humbling moment for me. Um, yeah, I, I guess I, I didn't expect it. Um, there was no other seniors <laughs> there. I don't think, I mean, I just, that it, it surprised me, but it also humbled me, but that kind of was validation. Like I, I did it, like I accomplished this and this is really going to be really great for me, you know, as part of my resume or my career that I worked so hard and, and I got that. So that that was, I think, my proudest moment. So this was something that happened at the at the year end banquet when we at do the all year the awards. End, yeah, at the year end banquet. Yeah, we. They, gosh, how many awards that we give out for so many different reasons, and some of them are funny, and some of them are serious. But you know, Bruce made it that the Pinnacle Award was Broadcaster of the Year. Um, 
And so the fact that he had given that, that, that I had gotten that was to me like, wow, like these, this community thinks that I'm worthy of that was pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah. And, and I imagine that's not really just for your senior year. I imagine that's for your four years of work at the station. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I thought of it that way, that it, it was a culmination of everything, of all the hours that I put in there. You know, when you think of seven days a week, you know, for four years, because mm-hmm. um, there was never a day, I don't think that I wasn't there. If, it, you know, if I wasn't in, in the studio, I was in the office. So, you know, that putting that time in really um, affects you and, and makes that made me who I am, I think, um, as far as work ethic and just sticking with something. It's probably the longest place I ever had been, <laughs> even mm. now when I think about it. <laughs> I'm like, have I ever been in a job for four years? Uh, well, RHU I was. With that I was, even though I did a lot of different things. Um, they had me for four years. Yeah. And, and like you say, it was seven days. Cause I think you engineered for Basha for a long time on Sundays. I did. Um, and I would do, I would do, Oh, Gordon and, uh, Frank and Gordon, Frank and R- Gordon's show. R&B serenade. Uh, I'd, fill, I'd fill in, you know, if someone couldn't make it last minute, you know, I get the call doing, I can't make it from my shift. Just, can someone fill in? And I'd be like, yeah, I can fill in. I'm right here. You know, by that time I was living back with my parents. So it was literally like, you know, a five minute walk for me um, to get to the station to, to help. Um, so, yeah. And so usually um, I would say I was there, if not seven days a week, then six. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and if I could, uh, you know, inject my own personal opinion, um, uh, you know, in terms of a biggest, biggest accomplishments or most important things, uh, you know, Bruce would often say to me, you were that I was his first station manager. He kind of inherited me for five or six months. And then I graduated and, and for various reasons wasn't around as, as much. Um, but you were really his first station manager. You were the person who, who worked with him on a daily basis and helped him realize, or at least begin his vision. You mentioned that Sue did so much to get that building completed. And this goes back to when Jeff Krause was still alive. Jeff had a vision of growing the station from where we were in the basement to this new facility and the new equipment. And he had a vision for what it was. And unfortunately he didn't live to see that. And Sue carried that along the way. And then Bruce came in, but you were the person, you were the student liaison who probably spent the most time with Bruce and with Sue in making that new station into a reality. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want to even respond to this, but in my opinion, your biggest thing at Hofstra Radio is making that transition and making that happen and making sure that that pirate mentality that we had carried on into the new place under the new management. Thank you for saying that. Um, 
yeah, it was a it was a big um, it was a big challenge. Yeah. Um, because we had you know we had some people that were on board and some people that weren't on board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember sitting with Bruce when he was saying about, oh, all the community volunteers are going to take this training class. And I was like, oh, boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> is everybody going to be on board with that? And he was just like, well, they'll have to be, because if not, then someone else that is trained will get their slot. And I'm like, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Boy, this is this is gonna be interesting. But you know, he did things with grace, and he wasn't he wasn't doing things in order to make people angry. He was doing things to make the station a better place for our entire community. And I don't think that anybody, uh, not many people, left. You know, after mm-hmm. he came in, and many times when you see a change in administration, you see a big change in staff and people because some usually a third are going to be like, "Nope, I'm not on board. I'm out of here." And I, I didn't see that with with WRHU. Those the community volunteers stayed, and they were like, "Yeah, okay, this is great that you can teach us what." to do because we wouldn't know what to do if we had to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really nice to, for them also to take in for the community volunteers who most of them were, were adults, you know, them yeah. in their fifties and sixties, our age now that were willing to not only have this student, you know, change records for them and cue records for them, but teach them how to operate the board. Um, is it handle an emergency if we had an emergency? Um, all those things that we that we taught in the in the training classes. So that's a testament to Bruce and his vision that he was able to keep um, retain the people that were already in place and that people didn't go elsewhere um, to service the community, but they stayed with Hofstra and they stayed with RHU. That's that's very well put, and and again, I think it's a testament, as you said, to Bruce's uh, management style and his his ability to make connections. But again, I'm I'm coming back to you because I know that you, like myself, got a lot of feedback from students and community volunteers and other people who were at the station who maybe didn't like some of the ideas or maybe were a little resistant. And you were probably the point person for a lot of people to come in and vent and say, who is this guy or what is this rule or why is this happening? And again, as a, as a student manager, you were dealing with multiple levels of maturity and experience and and you have to be the person that kind of absorbs that and helps Bruce enact his his vision. So again, I, I don't mean to pile it on too much, but I think yeah. what you did was extraordinary. Well, it was hard because like I I got what he was doing and then I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm just I'm just like this 20 21 year old, you know, kid. I know I really didn't know anything at that point, you know, and so here is this opportunity to just learn from not only this professional weatherman, you know, um, mm-hmm. with all this experience um, to 
that he wants to share with us and, and, you know, the difficulties that, um, you know, he confided a lot in me because that was a really tumultuous time in his own personal life as well. Mm-hmm. So to be able to, to help him um, have his vision and get as many people on board to stick with it was, um, yeah, it was, that was my job. And I, I took that job very, very seriously. So um, and I, I did take myself very seriously back then too. Um, but I also did hear, I did hear the concerns that students had. And um, I, I heard a lot of, oh, thank goodness it's Dawn going in there for those meetings because I don't want to sit there for two hours and listen to Bruce talk. Right. <laughs> and I'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll go in there. You know, I'm going in there not only because I have to, but I'm going in there because I know that he's got this vision um, and that it's all going to be good. And I learned so much from him. I mean, um, he will be so dearly missed. Mm-hmm. But I have lots of fond memories of, you know, going to the Colony Diner and him eating his turkey burger deluxe. And I would mm-hmm. get my pizza burger deluxe and we would just kind of plan things. And then Paul joined us when we were kind of transitioning from me being a station manager to Paul being the station manager. And uh, those are really good times. Really, really good times. Hmm. And important times because, again, uh, you know, Bruce had his ideas and ways of doing things. And the, the turkey burger story, I've heard that dozens of times from people and, and the, the diner stories and, and things like that. But, again, you're, you're setting the pathway. So I want to tie back into something you said a couple of times and I kind of pushed off a little bit. And forgive me if I'm not quoting it accurately, but I think one of your, your things was that you were either taking yourself or the station too seriously. Can we examine that and talk about what, what did you say and what did, what, what did you mean? Because I want to oh, talk about that. I, I guess because I guess it comes down to the, the, the fun that we had. And especially, especially when I did the morning show with, with Hot Shot Brian Scott, and he would say things that I would like disagree with. And I would be like, you can't say that on the air. You can't call people idiots. And we would have this, he, he would say this story, you know, we'd get this crazy story from the AP about, you know, I don't know, a guy that like made 6,000 sweaters from his llama. And, you know, <laughs> uh, Brian would have these um comments but they were kind of rude and so I would kind of be little miss kind of polite um in order to kind of put him in his place that he should be a nice you know nicer when he's kind of making fun of these people um but apparently I guess I don't know if people listened to that or not is this all on the air (laughs) yeah you're having these arguments on the air he's having these arguments on the air on the air (laughs) And so I don't know if people tuned us out because we're like, we can't listen to this old married couple just fighting and bickering with each other. <laughs> but um, so that was kind of funny. But also I think that, um, I don't know. I think that I, if, I, if I didn't take, if I took myself less seriously, I think I would have enjoyed myself socially more. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like I was the type of person that I was in bed by 10 o'clock at night. You know, I was, I was asleep by Letterman when everybody else was getting ready to go to Bennigan's and, and, you know, they would be closing Bennigan's out at 2 a.m. practically, you know, every Friday or Saturday night, which at least that's what it seemed to me. And I could only really do that like once. 
And I was like, oh, there's no way that I could go to Bennigan's at 11 o'clock at night. I got to go to bed because I got to be up and, and spin Irv Simner in the morning. Right. <laughs> and so I, I didn't, I think that I missed out on a lot of some of the socialization pieces because of the responsibilities that I had, hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. So it leads me to one of my questions towards the end here uh, on the list. But, you know, if you could go back in time and you have a 60 second conversation with 18 year old Dawn, what would you tell her? Go to Bennigan's and close it out at two o'clock in the morning and quit your complaining. That's what I would say to her. (laughs) Would Dawn at 18 have listened to that? Um... I don't know. I, cause I was, I was like, a, I was, a, I was a party pooper. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably wouldn't have been much fun to be around anyway. That's um, not true. Because Stop. once I had a glass of wine, I'd be ready to fall asleep. So it was kind of one of those things. It's like, I think I probably would have listened. Um, because, you know, having the eyes of the future to be like, it's not the end of the world if you go out or, and, but I like knew that I was never going to be late for a shift. You know, if I'm going to be on, if I'm going to sign on at 7am, I'm going to be there at 645, you know, and I'm going to make sure that I'm ready to turn, to put that station on at seven. So I didn't want to do anything. I never wanted to be one of those people that was like, Oh my God, I slept through my alarm and I missed it. Right. That was never going to be me. So um, so I don't know if I would have listened to her. <laughs> mm. It's it's one of those, those really hard things to do. And I just had another conversation, I think yesterday about this, about, you know, today we call it work-life balance. And mm. when you're 19 and you have this position of authority at a professional level radio station, and a lot of it is on your shoulders, you tend, some of us tend to take it very seriously and, and it becomes a, a defining part of our lives. And then to find that, that balance of, well, yeah, I, I can go out tonight or I can go do something. And and again, to double back, it's not to say you didn't have any fun at the station. Oh, absolutely not. It's just it's just I you weren't necessarily going to the bars or going out late with a bunch of knuckleheads. Right. And so then like in the morning when they come in and they tell them the stories about what happened the night before, I'm like, damn, I missed that, hmm. you know, but it wasn't necessarily enough to make me change my mind to go the next time. Right. <laughs> because it's like oh i have a responsibility to be there at 7 a.m and if i'm out till if i'm out until four in the morning there ain't no way that i'm gonna be able to just go there do my job and then come back and sleep i didn't know how to nap then (laughs) (laughs) it's a good skill to have yeah now i know how to nap i do it now good for you so what do you miss (laughs) most about Hofstra Radio. Oh, I guess it's just the the friends and the people, you know, seeing the familiar faces Mm -hmm. and just walking in there and, oh, like, like I I miss usually, you know, the little trip to to bits and bites to like get a quick bite to eat, Mm -hmm. you know, that we would bring downstairs or walk across campus back to the, um, (laughs) I remember the trays starting to pile up. Mm-hmm. Um, outside of the new, the new, outside of the fishbowl, 
um, because we would bring our lunches back from bits and bites, but we'd keep the tray. Um, and trays started to pile up. But I miss, I miss the people. I miss the friendships. Um, and, and that's what I miss most. Because mm-hmm. they were good people. They were good times, good times. And, and my follow-up question is, wasn't there another option other than bits and bites, or was that all that we had? On that side of campus, that was all that we had. Ugh. And so if we were going to pay cash, we may as well get in the car and drive to Jim's Deli because at least we got like decent cold cuts. Mm-hmm. But everything else was like the main calf and then across the unispan. Right. But yeah, bits and bites was it. <laughs> Very limited, but at least you had a variety, right? We had pizza, we had chicken nuggets, you had a burger, <laughs> maybe a salad. <laughs> you're, you're making it sound way more appetizing than it was. That was, oh, that was survival food. It really was. It really was. I used to get, oh, I remember getting a liverwurst sandwich and a glass of milk. <laughs> what? Yeah, at, oh, at bits and I bites. was criticized at Bits and Bites. I did. What? I got it. I was in the mood for liverwurst sandwich, and I used to eat that as a kid, and I got it with a glass of milk, and I got the most, like, you're going to eat that? That is, like, the most disgusting. I, Will must have said something funny because Will Shelley would always come out. Like, he'd have this serious face, and he would just come out with this one-liner and, you know. And, like, walk out of the room, me. yeah. And, yeah, just, like, I can't believe you're going to eat that, and I'm just going to – I'm leaving. Um, and him and his hair behind him. <laughs> oh my God. I can't, I cannot believe that Bits and Bites had liverwurst. They had liverwurst. They did. In their cold cuts. Um, it was nasty. It came, it came in the, you know, that log tube and then it had the little piece of paper wrapped around yep, it. That yep. had to kind of peel off. But I have that on a Kaiser roll. Very, very infrequently. But one right. day I was in craving it. So I was like, all right, I'll eat this. And I and it was a really cheap sandwich, so I was probably really low on my meal plan, and <laughs> that's what I got because I couldn't afford the pizza. <laughs> Again, survival food, yes. That's, yeah, that's you know, aspect. so I could get that, and I could get like a bag of Doritos and a drink, and and that would be a full meal instead of getting just a pizza and not having a beverage. Wow. <laughs> um, hypothetical question. Um, you're in the area, you're on Long Island, and you get a call from John Mullen and say, we need someone to come in and fill in and do a shift or, or to co-host the morning show. Are you going to do it? Absolutely. I would totally do it in a heartbeat. No hesitation? No hesitation. Absolutely not. Okay. We'll, see if, there's, we'll see if there's any classic slots to fill this summer. Uh, <laughs> yes. When I go home to visit my mother, I'll be like, sorry, mom, I'm going to the station. Maybe you spin some Shostakovich. Yes, um, right? Okay. Um, yeah. So a lot of people have asked me along the way, and they've sent messages like, what's so-and-so up to, or what did they do after college, or where did they go? So this is sort of a two-part question. And if you want to share things that you've done after WRHU, and then if you could, like, what lessons, what skills, what did you bring from Hofstra Radio with you into your grown-up and professional world? Um, well, after RHU, um, I did about two years in 
Manhattan, um, actually a year in Manhattan working for CBS radio networks, which almost sent me into um, panic mode. I was really, that was really not the right fit for me. Um, and then I went to Walk FM and was doing some AM work, but in sales. And I, when I got suckered into that, I was like, ooh, this is not feeling right. So I got my master's in education, um, and I and I attribute that to the experience that I had with Bruce teaching the training classes, um, mm. because that was when I really started to kind of teach. And I thought, you know, I kind of like this. Um, I want to do more in education. So I went back to school for my master's to go into school counseling, because um, I didn't want to necessarily be a teacher, but I wanted to do something with education. But I really liked the idea of, you know, helping kids with that college experience. Um, but my destiny landed, uh, ended up being in middle schools and in elementary schools. Um, and I did that for about 20 years until like 2015 um, and then moved on to get my license in mental health. So now I'm a full-time mental health trauma counselor in my own private practice. And um, that the skills that I, that I take from RHU in my current profession is that obviously being a good listener, um, when you're interviewing people and even though therapy is not, you know, a broadcast and interview, you are interviewing people. You're mm. asking them questions. Um, and in therapy, it's probably the hardest questions that people have had to answer and talk about in their lives. So um, that I think being a good listener has really paid off. And I don't think I would have learned that, um, that skill if it wasn't for WRHU. Hmm. Wow. That's really powerful. Thank you for, for sharing that. It's, uh, uh, so many lessons learned, so many experiences that, that we have, and you really took that and translated into something that I'm sure helped many, many, many people, uh, over a long period of time. So thanks for, thanks for that. Thank you. Um, this has been so much fun. Yes. <laughs> this has been a lot of laughs and, and, God knows, we're just scratching the surface with with stories. Um, yeah. uh, I, I would love to keep the conversation going. Uh, I'm going to have to come up with more questions because, uh, or maybe we'll get more people in here and we'll, we'll just tell stories to each other and laugh because uh, we, we, had, we had some good times and we did a lot of important work and you especially did did a lot. And I'm going to stop with a, with a, uh, the, the praise here, but- uh, oh, but Thank you, I, I love I, it. I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for being able to work with you and, and all the work that you did, uh, at Hofstra radio. It's, uh, I'm, well, I'm, I'm, I learned a lot from you. I uh, learned a lot from you too, cause you were a program director when I walked in and you were running the place too. So you were, you were a good model. Well, we just, we, we kept the ship afloat for a little while. It's, we sure we did. did. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much for doing this. This was, this was fantastic. And, uh, uh, until the next time, we'll, we'll come up with some more questions. You got it. <laughs>